Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This is a protocol of last resort. Um, Mm -hmm. We currently have within um, Ontario um, a surge capacity when we get our beds full and how we manage that and how we talk to other intensive care units. We are hoping that we're not going to get into this situation, but we want to make sure that the people that we do treat in an intensive care unit with all of the bells and whistles and technology and advanced people support that we have is used for the people that are more likely to survive. And we have a lot of data from years of critical care experience knowing who, when they get critically ill, has either a longer recovery from that or is unlikely to survive. And so this protocol was developed with ethical principles, expert and evidence-based opinions and legal opinions before it was released. And I have to think it'd be very difficult. You'd all, you'd also have to have conversations with family. Um, you, you know, Absolutely. the one thing about this illness is that people die alone. That's just a reality because it's such an infectious disease that you can't have people going in off the street and standing with their loved ones. So they die alone. So these conversations are the kinds of things that would have to happen beforehand. So that's a really important question. We hope that what happens out of this is that families start to have those serious, if I got, I like to call it my what if conversation. Uh, right. what, if, what if this happened to you? What if this? Because many people, particularly as we get older, we've had other health complications, don't want to spend their last days attached to a breathing machine, not able to move mm-hmm. independently, not able to talk to people. And so really it's an opportunity to have that conversation beforehand. There's been a lot of preparation across the province to get ready for this, including shutting down some of the elective surgeries so that we can make space in our ICUs. But, you know, what we hope is we prepare and that we never have to use this. That is the goal. That is the hope. And I guess we'll get a much more clear indication in the next week or so as to how or if we did, in fact, uh, flatten in the curve. But, doctor, I can't imagine that any doctor um, wants to have that conversation. And I have to think it's an enormous amount of pressure on a, on a health care worker. So I think the first thing to say is that we, in our business of critical care, often have end-of-life discussions. So it is part of what we do on a regular basis. People come into critical ill, they, look, they may not recover. So this is part of our standard. But what's clear about this triage protocol is that we're not doing that in isolation. This will be set off based on capacity and how many patients we have in a particular region or throughout the province. And then it sets off a series of levels in which we start at one level, we move on to the next depending on capacity, and that it is not an individual decision. It's not going to be left in the hands of one person. It's going to be a series of teams um, that include critical care but are also going to have other health professionals and other physicians who are making these decisions um, and that we're going to have some guidance um, across the province as well. 
the reality is on the best of days, we don't have a huge ICU system in this country. Uh, we'll speak more provincially. I mean, at the best of times, it is generally at capacity. And we know that um, if the numbers kind of surge at all, there's just not a lot of wiggle room. Well, so that's part of the other preparation that's been going on in the background. Um, many centres have been preparing to look to say, where else can we put people who are critically ill? Where, What other machines do we have that we can call out of? So we, we know that there's always been a bit of, since SARS, a pandemic plan, so we've had some ventilators stored away from that. But it's not just the ventilators, it's the people to manage that, and we've been redeploying people. And, um, and so everybody's looking at building capacity as we can, not just thinking of what we currently have. Not just the tension of um, not getting sick for frontline workers or the hours that they're going to be putting uh, in, but again, the, these kinds of decisions must just hang over uh, their heads. Um, I think so. Um, I mean, I can't speak for all of my colleagues. I, I would say I've done more preparing for this in the past sure. weeks than I have for anything else. Um, and I lived through SARS. I remember being in the midst of SARS, working in the ICU. Um, we never had a patient, but we did a lot of prep getting ready, and we learned so much from that. Yeah. And and I think, you know, we're in a really good position in Ontario because we took the learnings from there and have moved it forward um, into a, a clear plan and uh, with, you know, governance and understanding command structures and everything else that are happening across province. Let's hope that preparation um, means that we don't have to make those tough decisions, but I do very much appreciate your time, doctor. Um, Thank you very much, and please listen to public health, and please do the physical distancing, because that's what's going to save everybody across this province.